Hello and welcome to the podcast for Real Life Heroines with Susanna Liller. Join us bi-weekly as alongside of you, we work toward answering the call, knowing that stepping into our destiny always involves going into the unknown and exploring new landscapes. This show talks about those new landscapes, what it took to get there, and the real challenges that take place for most of us along the journey. Heroines don't stay in their comfort zone. They follow their inner guidance to grow and evolve. From the School for Real Life Heroines, your host, Susanna Liller. everyone. Here we are. Welcome to my podcast for Real Life Heroines, where I get to talk to, interview real life heroines about their heroines journey when they answer a calling to do something larger than they had expected, that where they make a change in their life that gives their lives more meaning. And yes, it comes with challenges and tough times. Sometimes you have to deal with a dragon, but in the end, transformation happens and we grow. So I get to welcome Dr. Amy Wood, who I will call Amy because in all transparency, Amy and I have known each other for quite a while. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Susanna. It has been quite a while. It has been, and it's been, I don't know, since 2004 maybe yeah it's been yeah. it's been almost 20 years i know and i should just tell people that um the way we met is we were doing similar work in portland maine and people kept saying you ought to talk to amy wood and i think they were saying the same thing to you yeah. and we did and yes. we got to work together for quite a while doing our women's empowerment business together which we called ruby slippers but i want to say that it was based on this personal strategic planning work we did and you gave it the most marvelous name of attracting the life you want oh that's right <laughs> and i i bring that up and i am i want to share your bio but i bring that up because i think what we're going to talk about today the two of us is how you have really attracted the life you want. And, and I have too, so yes. it's good to share what the heck we did. So <laughs> let me just say a bit more about you. Through it, so here's your formal bio. Okay. Um, the informal was you and I met in 2004 and did some wonderful work together, but formal, through executive coaching and continuing programming, education programming, you are a Maine-based psychologist and you help attorneys attorneys reach achievement and fulfillment. You have written a book, um, Life Your Way, Refresh Your Approach to Success and Breathe Easier in a Fast-Paced World. And you're writing another book as we speak, that the Maine Bar Association is going to American Bar American. Association 
yeah. is going to publish and it's called Lawyer Like an Athlete. Yes. Really interesting. We'll have to talk about that. And then you talk about resilience on um, main public radio. And I got to be on that show once and it was wonderful with um, your wonderful co-host, Jennifer Rooks. And it, interesting that it's called Main Calling. And you and I today are gonna talk about your callings. Oh, that's right. Um, and you also write a column for the main bar journal and you teach everywhere. And so it's quite a, a wonderful bio, Amy. And I congratulate you on, on your evolution as a Thank heroine. You. <laughs> Thank you you're, so much. You're definitely yeah. a real life heroine. And I wanna also say, I loved this because I send out to the people that I'm going to interview an invitation and it, I ask them, what do you want to most make sure we talk about? And you definitely want to talk about your work, especially with women attorneys. But you wrote this. You said, I can honestly say, and I love this. I can honestly say that I have arrived at a place where I am doing what I love. And it is the result of a long and winding road. Many missteps experiments, wrong turns, and successes that have culminated in ways I'd never imagined. And isn't that, I mean, for everybody listening, that's that's it, right? That's the journey. Mistakes, wrong steps, experiments, um, but you keep following your dream. And so you had a couple dreams, Amy, and, and a couple times when you as we all do, we go on many heroines journeys in our lives, right? And it's always answering a call, an inner voice that's maybe saying, do this or try this. And it just keeps at you. And you and I talked about, you've been on many. And so which one do we talk about? And you said, well, I'd like to talk about the time when I moved from Chicago to Maine, that that was a really big, and we we talk about these answering a call as a leap and there aren't, they aren't always leaps, but I would say deciding to go from Chicago to Maine was a leap. Yes. So you want to talk about how that transpired and how that kicked off one heroine's journey? Sure. And I'd like to start by saying, and I know you agree with me on this, that the most important thing about navigating a heroine's journey is listening to your intuition right and I definitely agree absolutely <laughs> and I love to tell this story because it really to me demonstrates the power of intuition so I had gone to college in New Orleans and I, I went to Loyola in New Orleans I majored in communications and I'd wanted to move to New York and get into marketing, advertising, publishing. And my professor said, you know, you can probably do better if you start in Chicago, it's a friendlier place. And so I went there and I'd never been there before. And I just decided, you know, I'm going to build a life here. And I did, but you know, the moment I landed in Chicago, I'd never been there before. As I said, I just had this awareness. This is not where my soul is. This is not where I'm going to end up. It's a temporary place. And I had this growing awareness that I was meant to be in New England. And 
I was there in Chicago for 13 years. And during that time, the opportunity to move to New England, it just was never the right time. And so it didn't happen for a while. And I, I kept feeling that longing strong, more, more and more strongly, but it just wasn't aligning. And so when that would happen, when I would feel like, okay, I'm at a juncture, like maybe I was between jobs, for example, and I would be researching job opportunities on the East Coast and nothing was working. And I would say, okay, well, as long as I'm in Chicago, I wanna do something to advance myself. What's, what is it gonna be? And one of those things happened to be leaving the field of publishing where I ended up and moved into psychology. I went to graduate school and got my doctorate. And I remember having this idea when I started graduate school intuitively, I don't wanna ever be a standard type psychologist, you know, just teaching, getting tenure, doing research, seeing psychotherapy clients. I want to someday combine my communications background with psychology. I have no idea how that's going to work out, but that's what I want to do. And I remember talking to professors about that and they would say, I don't know what, how you're going to do that. I've never seen anyone who's done that. You know, they just, they weren't very encouraging. It wasn't um, the traditional psychologist. Right path at all no right and that's a whole other story but in terms of me moving to Maine what ended up happening is I thought I'm going to move to Boston and do my internship so an internship is like a residency that you would do as a doctor it's a one-year thing where you can go anywhere in the country but you have to apply to approved internships and get selected you have to do a lot of interviewing so I was really determined I'm going to go to Boston because I'd always love Boston and that doors were not opening um, no opportunity. And one day I was talking to someone in Boston and they said, you know, I heard about this really good internship at University of Maine. Have you ever considered Maine? And I had never been to Maine, had never considered Maine. And I ended up applying for that thinking, well, what the heck? And I interviewed for it. I loved it. It was my number one choice out of the 12 interviews I ended up going on in New England. And it was a fabulous year. I got selected for that internship. And that's how I ended up in Maine and never in a million years even thought of Maine. You know, I always thought I was going to be moving to Boston or New York and ended up really liking Maine, especially Portland. And so after that one year internship, I moved to Portland and did a fellowship for a year and then opened up a practice. And um, that is how it all played out. So I think the important message here, um, I've certainly learned this again and again, is your intuition is often right, but you can't control how it's going to happen sometimes. Right, right. You just have so, to trust. So I think that's going to lead us to another story that you tell, which I love, particularly love because I was with you and we were working together when it happened. Mm -hmm. But I just want to go back to your point too, that you got to Chicago Mm -hmm. it didn't feel right in your soul and you know people listening to that I guess it how would you describe it it just was you knew you didn't feel at home I didn't feel at home and I remember one of the first visits I had in Portland I remember I had gone out to eat lunch with some friends and we were just sitting on the steps in front of the restaurant after lunch and I remember having this very clear feeling like this is home. It's just a sense of comfort, okay. you know, like this is where I belong. Mm -hmm. um, it just fits. And I had okay. never felt that in Chicago and I had tried and tried and tried to make it fit. And the thing is, it's not sometimes 
Um, it's not rational. You know, I had a great life in Chicago, lots of opportunity, many great friends. Now I go back to Chicago every Thanksgiving and a big group of friends get together and we talk about the old times and I love going there and it's it's great now, you know, living in this part of the country where I feel my soul belongs and then right. visiting a city I really love, but it's just not home. Right. And something else you always talk about, Amy, is paying attention to your feelings. Yes. And and giving them priority. Your head might be saying, what? You're crazy. You have a job. Why would you leave? And you pay attention to I know you do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Always pay attention to that. <laughs> right. So then you and I started working together and you were a single lady and um, I came to know that you were interested in finding a partner and meeting somebody and I knew that you had tried a couple maybe relationships and it hadn't happened Um, and so this was I think another illustration of of you and how you have navigated through life. So what did you, so you met your husband. Tell us how that happened. Yes. Well, one thing that helped a lot, I'm sure your listeners are aware of the whole circle exercise. We've done it, but maybe just quickly, can you share? Sure. So um, you taught me this wonderful exercise that has helped me not just in this case, but with many things in my life. I use it all the time. But the idea is you take a regular eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and you just draw a big circle on it with room to write around it and you put inside what you want and it works best when you think of the feelings you want so in this case you helped me when I was thinking about finding the right fit you know my life partner and you said imagine how you want to feel when you're with him you know um, not just the specifics like you know what he's going to look like or what his education might be you know how you want to feel, because that's the most important thing. It doesn't really matter what the details are if you're feeling the way you want to feel. So if you write in that circle, you know, I want to feel supported. I want to know that he respects me. I want to respect him. I want to feel comfortable. I want to be stimulated at the same time because I don't want to be bored. And then you put on the outside what you don't want to feel. And so, you know, I don't want to ever feel like I can't trust him. I don't want to ever feel like he's boring, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And what that does, when you talk about how you want to feel, it just opens up so much opportunity for the universe to deliver something Mm -hmm. to give you those feelings instead Mm -hmm. of, I'll give you an example when I I think I may have, we may have experienced this together in one of our workshops where a woman wrote down exactly what she wanted in a partner. And she was very specific, you know, he must enjoy fine dining he must enjoy going to the theater he must enjoy going to museums with me blah 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 and she came in and said you know I have great news I met the guy and it happened really quickly and then she said but the bad news is he's gay (laughs) (laughs) that didn't work for her no so when you focus too much on the details yeah we both know you're all you're doing is narrowing opportunity and quite often in life, we think we know what we want. You know, like I had in my head, what kind of guy I was looking for. And the guy that I ended up marrying was nothing like that, but he's perfect for me. So we made that circle together. And then, you know, I had moved to Maine probably about six years prior. And I, I was making this assumption 
which we often do. We always think, okay, if I listen to my intuition, everything is just going to fall into place beautifully. So my assumption was if I move to Maine where I feel really comfortable, the next step, you know, I'm in my late thirties, I'm going to meet the right guy. And it wasn't happening. In fact, I was meeting the worst guys I'd ever met, you know, the most inappropriate, the most awful. I've men. heard those stories and I don't think we should share those. No, I don't think we should. <laughs> but I, I reached a point, you know, my mother always used to tell me and many people have told me this, you know, it's going to happen when you least expect it. Right. And I had always looked around saying, well, I'm not expecting it. But that you need to go to a whole new level of that where you really aren't expecting it. And I reached this point where I was just done with dating. I just decided, you know what? I'm not resigned here. I have a great life. You know, I just purchased this beautiful condo. I have a great practice in Portland. I have many friends. I'm a happy person. And if I meet someone great, but I'm not going to put any more time into this. I'm just going to live my life and make it the best it can be. And either way, I'm going to be just fine. Um, and it was three weeks later, I'd never felt more liberated than wow. I did when I made that decision. It really felt like I had let go of this expectation. Right, right. And I remember telling my friends, um, you know, I'm not going to go on any more dates. I'm not going to do any more of this online stuff. It's not going to be a priority for me. And a few of my friends were concerned, you know, and they said to me, literally, he's not going to show up on your doorstep. Right. And he did three weeks <laughs> later. Literally showed up on my doorstep. It was, per I still get goosebumps hearing about yeah. it. Right, right. Yeah. Just explain. I mean, he wasn't oh. hobo or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he um, came to a party at my house and it wasn't my party. A good friend of mine wanted to have a birthday party, but her apartment was too small. And she asked if she could host it at my new condo. And he came with a friend of hers to that birthday party. And the interesting thing, you know, I was done with dating. I, I really didn't care to meet him. And he had just gotten through a horrible divorce and he was looking forward. This was his first night on the town with his buddies. He did not want to come to this birthday party. Amazing. He told his friend who he went with and this other guy, you know, 15 minutes and we're out of here because I do not want to be at this stupid party. Well, the three guys were the last to leave. And throughout the evening, even though he wasn't interested at all in meeting me, I'd want to meet him. Our friends kept telling us, you know, you'd really like her. You'd really like him. You really ought to talk. And fast forward to the end of the evening, he and his friends left and they went to this bar in downtown Portland. And they said to my friends, it's about 1130 at this point, and said, you know, if you and your friends want to meet us, we'll be at this bar. And my friends were trying to get me to go. And I just wasn't interested. And I just said, you know, I'm just going to go to bed. I really don't want to go. You guys go. And they, they were so insistent. You have got to talk to this guy, Mike. And I wasn't, you know, they weren't persuading me. I wasn't going for it. And one of my friends said, you know, that guy, Mike said he liked your Audrey Hepburn style. And that got me. And I thought, oh, I've got to meet this guy. <laughs> so that's how it happened. That's in it. And that was under false pretense. We learned later on our third date that he had never said that. What he said was, you know, I really like the style of this condo who lives here, but my friend knew me well enough to know if you said that about Audrey Hepburn, I would want to meet up. She's my style icon. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah. So, so how many years have you been married? 15. Wow. And similar to, you know, landing in Maine, it was just a feeling of 
comfort. Like this is where I belong, not, you know, fireworks going off or anything like that. It was, you know, I often tell this to my clients who are looking to meet a life partner. And sometimes they've been in really exciting, but rocky kinds of relationships where there's great chemistry, but it's, it's unhealthy. And they think that they have to go to the other extreme and just find someone who's dependable, but not very exciting. Right. And I always tell them, you, you're, what you're looking for is a combination of both, you know, the comfort, but also stimulation. Mm, it's right. not either extreme. And that's what I believe I have with my husband. Um, it's just, and he's not what I expected. I, I want to emphasize that not at all the kind of guy I'd ever imagined being with. Um, you know, he is divorced with two children. I never wanted children. Um, kids were seven and nine when I met him. And I thought, well, it's never going to work. The kids ended up being great. Um, now they're in their 20s and they're wonderful adults. Um, he is a corporate executive. And I always thought being very urban, you know, I'm going to meet some, you know, guy who wears black turtlenecks all the time and is very urbane and artistic. And, Maybe and <laughs> Yeah. And Mike is very quiet. Um, and he's a sports addict and I'm not into, you know, watching sports, but that's his thing. And we, for some reason it just clicks. Yeah. So our expectations get in the way, the things that get in the way of what we put in the circle are our expectations and thinking, oh, it's going to show up like this. And I right. think almost always it shows up differently than we expect. And you also have said to me, um, expect you know, put down what you want, but also know that it could be even better than you even can think of, you know? Right. That they, yeah. Yeah. And again, going back to your emphasis on feelings, um, you always talk about, about paying attention to your feelings and raising the vibrancy of your feelings. In yeah. other words, if you find yourself it's never going to happen and getting depressed about it. It's up to you to notice that and then do something that's going to make you happier. Right. Because that's what, again, that's why we called it attracting the life you want. Right. Feelings attract. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. if you think about what you're trying to attract, so if you're trying to attract a certain job or a certain home or a certain partner in life, um, imagine you know how do you want this person to be right. and then try to be that way yourself so that you can attract it what do you want that situation to be like well probably you want the situation to be um, a very positive thing so if you're feeling down all the time you're not going to attract positivity and that's why I think as we've talked about many times um, you know people who are more optimistic tend to have more opportunities uh, than people who tend to look at the glass half empty yeah. Though I've also heard you say and people talk about, well, you talking about being a Pollyanna, that even huh. the world is a mess. And maybe this gets into your what you talk about on main public radio, mm -hmm. you know, resiliency. Um, you're telling me I'm supposed to be happy, even though horrible things are happening. And how do you talk to that? Well, I believe that optimism is about being realistic and I do think some people can be too positive and ignore important information and they're not living in reality just in the same way that people can be too negative so 
to me, optimism is about looking at the whole complete picture, you know, so looking at our world today, for example, and saying, you know, we have a lot of problems. There's some really serious issues here. Um, and I acknowledge that, but I want to focus on solutions. So how can I make things better for myself? So, you know, speaking of feelings, it's, it's not about denying feelings at all. Um, when we talk about feelings and wanting to attract positivity into our lives, um, we have to also deal with some unpleasant emotion. We can't just shove it away. So part of being an optimist is embracing whatever emotions come in and working through those. Because when you don't do that, you just shove them down or numb yourself from them. They come back and grab you in ways that are not pleasant, you know, like sleep problems and health issues and relationship problems and all kinds of things. Yeah, I remember you telling me about a client you had a, a long time ago who whose mom had just passed away yeah. and and she came, she was grieving. And she mm -hmm. said, I need you to give me something so I don't feel this because it's too hard to feel. Right. Um, yeah. So we have to, we can't resist that. It's part of part of being alive and human, right? Right. And our culture is not very good at supporting us in that you know we live in a culture where we're supposed to just get on with things and get on to the next goal and um, not welcome any kind of emotion that's going to slow us down or interfere with us because you know what might happen if you're grieving if you're working through difficult emotions you might miss out on something you know that's what our culture tells us and we actually miss out on more when we don't embrace our full emotional repertoire so I'd like to transition us to, and I, it's not much of a transition because resilience and then you think stress, today's world, but I'm so intrigued by your work with women lawyers and, and the book title, Lawyering Like an Athlete. So what does that mean, Amy? Say more about what this book is about, what that title is about. Sure. So, you know, I'll start by saying, you know, I've always liked to work with really ambitious adults because I'm very ambitious and, you know, trying to help adults be happy and be healthy and also fulfill their career aspirations. And just organically, probably about eight years ago, attorneys started to come to me. I do a lot of coaching and attorneys started to come to me saying, you know, I'm really stressed and I've gone to therapists. I've read all these self-help books. Nothing is working. And I really became curious about that and looked into the research and the research shows consistently that attorneys are one of the most stressed professions because of all the expectation. Um, people come to them with very, very big uh, concerns, you know, that they want resolved. Um, a lot of people get their idea about what attorneys do from television. And of course, it's not nearly that glamorous or exciting and things don't get resolved very quickly. Like, they do on television in the real world. So here's Saul Goodman. In yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It's bad. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, so attorneys are, are really very stressed. I did my own study that showed that they're stressed for a few reasons. One, they don't really feel like they have much control. They have so much work that they don't have control over their personal lives because they have no time for that. Um, things are always changing without their input, you know, like court dates, for example, I talked to many attorneys who will tell me these stories, like we're supposed to go on vacation 
was Friday. I was supposed to leave on Saturday and I was told, no, you have to be in court on Monday. You can't go on vacation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, you know, constantly stressing them. And then there's this idea that attorneys have, you know, that they want to really contribute to the world. But when they get into the weeds of being an attorney with all the delays and all the bureaucracy and all the upset people and the adversarialness, uh, it doesn't feel like they're contributing sometimes. Um, and then take the adversarialness as another stressor, you know, dealing with opposing attorneys in the courtroom or difficult judges or very angry clients, you know, who want to fight. Um, and then, you know, all those things together, they just create this sense of like, what impact do I have? You know, I have no control. I don't have any time. The work never stops. And there are a lot of ways of doing things in the law profession that really lead to unhealthy attorneys. Like they don't think they can say no. They don't think they can not pick up the phone, their cell phone when it rings at 10. You know, they, if it's a work issue, they think, oh, I got I got to answer it at whatever hour. That's one of the number one things I help attorneys with is how, how do you say no and how can setting boundaries make your life better and actually bring in more work, not less. So this is the kind of work that I've been doing with attorneys and, and what really occurred to me about four years ago was that attorneys are very much like athletes in terms of the stress they endure, you know, professional elite athletes, the stress, um, the amount of resilience required to perform well, you know, all the expectation, um, you know, public um, perception, you know, looking to them for all sorts of things um, that they can't necessarily deliver. And so I ended up creating a day-long workshop called Lawyer Like an Athlete, where I, I studied famous athletes, the ones who are really good, like Tom Brady, for example, really good at performing amazingly well, but also being really healthy. And the one thing about athletes that I really think attorneys can learn um, is that athletes understand you know, I can't just be training all the time or I'm going to burn out. So I need to take recovery time. They, you know, are very good at surrounding themselves with life experiences that nourish them so that they can perform well when they need to. And attorneys are not good at that. So it's working and working. Yes. Yeah. So my book is really about that. You know, how do you keep your work at the center, because it needs to be, you've got a really demanding job, challenges all the time. And how do you do that and also have a life? And it sounds like a lot of it is about creating those boundaries and being able to say no and yes, giving to yourself in some way. What, what occurs to me, Amy, is yes, this applies to high powered, attorneys but it could be anybody yes yeah anybody in a high-powered job who's not saying no who picks up the phone right yeah yeah so do you encounter resistance do they say oh you're a psychologist what do you know this is what I have to do to get ahead well let me tell you I'll tell you a funny story I was asked to speak at a, a legal conference and so I was told to arrive at a certain time and there was an attorney speaking before me and welcoming me. And he was talking about what to do if you're really stressed out and you really feel like you need some support. And he 
actually said, and I'm, I'm right there and he knows who I am, this psychologist who he's going to be introducing. And he says, whatever you do, don't ever go to a psychologist because it'll be a disaster. Oh, no. <laughs> the psychologists don't understand us and we need, you know, to go to our people. Well, so go to each other if you need support. And then he welcomes me to come up and give my talk, which was lawyer like an athlete. Did everybody uh, laugh? Uh, some people <laughs> did. Uh, Wait a minute. So he knew you were a psychologist yeah. and he would be introducing you. Yeah. So he was totally pulling the rug out from under oh, your yeah. Absolutely. And, and just to give you another example, I recently started coaching a woman attorney and she said to me at her second session, you know, it was funny. I was talking to a colleague of mine, another woman attorney, and I told her I had started coaching and I thought it was going to be helpful. And my colleague said to me, um, why don't you just drink more? Why don't you just drink more? That's what I do. Why would you pay for a coach? Okay. So there is a great deal of resistance and there's this old school way of handling stress, which as we know, only increases stress. And that is, you know, you work constantly. Um, you take the edge off when you're away from work by drinking a lot, spending a lot, eating a lot. And of course that just makes you have health problems, but there's still a lot of attorneys who really wear that as a badge of, of like status. You know, um, I had another woman attorney who said to me, she's very young. She was fresh out of law school and had joined a firm and they were working on a very big case and they had to travel to a, another city to work on it. So they were all holed up in this hotel room for a few days. And the expectation was that no one was really going to sleep. They just had to plow through all this preparation and then go to court. And they were eating junk food and drinking a lot. And she said, you know, she needed her sleep. And she went to her boss at the hotel and said, you know, I can't stay up. I have to get some sleep tonight if you want me to be at my best tomorrow. And the boss said to her, obviously, you're not a team player. Yikes. Yeah. So this is the kind of thing they're up against. And, you know, one thing I, I made very clear in my proposal to the American Bar Association for this book, uh, Lawyer Like an Athlete, is, you know, it's not an easy book. You know, you're going to have to stand up to people who expect you to try to deal with your stress in very unhealthy ways. So you've got to be ready to act courageously if you really want a lawyer like an athlete. And what happens if people, well, I just wonder what you've seen in your own clients who've come to you, your attorney clients, what, what are the symptoms of their stress when they don't take care of themselves? I mean, what, what happens? Uh, one of the biggest ones I see is just really serious sleeping issues, like not being able to fall asleep, not um, getting up on time um, or waking up at three in the morning and worrying about things, but just feeling like they're not able to get any rest and they don't have any downtime. So they're usually very tired. And a lot of attorneys to deal with that, they will drink energy drinks and coffee throughout the day. And then at night they're taking a sleeping pill. And the problem usually is that they don't have breaks. They don't wind down at, the, at nighttime to segue into a good night's sleep, nor do they have a relaxing, unrushed morning routine so that they can approach each day positively and wow. at their best. So I see a lot of sleep problems, lots of relationship problems. 
you know, because they're working too much and they don't make time for relationships. And there's a belief among attorneys that vacation's a waste of time, you know, social time with your friends and family's a waste of time. You should be working whenever you can. Now, thank goodness a lot of this is changing. Um, I'm not the only one doing this kind of work, you know, bar associations, for example, and the American Bar Association, state bar associations are really getting that there needs to be a wellness initiative. And it's pretty impressive what's going on, but it's, it's going to take some time for attorneys to change. There must be, I'm, I'm wondering if there are support groups to help attorneys practice this, because they must feel alone if their, you know, office isn't doing this. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you bring that up because especially since the pandemic, you know, not just attorneys, but a lot of professionals are feeling pretty isolated if they're working at home a lot. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of women's leadership um, and women who are ambitious, there's um, a lot of research showing today that what we need in leadership more than ever is what women tend to do better than men. I'm, I'm you know, taking this from the actual research and that is, you know, listening and getting through difficult times, you know, having that emotional wherewithal to lead others through stressful events. Um, and it, it all comes down to emotional intelligence, you know, being able, being self-aware, being able to engage other people at an emotional level mm-hmm. and work with them, collaborate with, with them and help people feel like they have support. Right. Well, so I remember when we worked together, we would talk about that Harvard study. Yes. That- under stress, men tend to isolate and women tend to gather. Yes, Mm -hmm. they tend to reach out. And this goes way back to primitive times. If you think about the role that women had back then and the role men had, you know, men were the hunters and the gatherers. That's a very focused, isolated kind of experience where Mm -hmm. women, they were in charge of keeping people together and united, you know, avoiding conflict, which is, of course, a problem when you avoid it too much. But they were all about looking around and wondering, you know, how can this person be more comfortable or how can these people get along better? And so women in general, when they're stressed, well, I know we've given this example in our retreats and workshops before, but um, I think it's a good one where when a woman has a stressful day at work, what she might do is come home and want to talk to people, want to water her plants, want to cook, you know, do things that help her to feel nourished and connected, where a man generally, when he has a stressful day, he'll want to just zone out. So maybe, you know, here's a stereotype, but come, he may want to just come home and sit in front of the TV and watch the news or watch a sporting event and not. Seinfeld repeats like my beloved husband. (laughs) Yes. Right, right. And different ways of relaxing for sure yeah well so here's a question for you amy and um you know on every heroine's journey and i would say this this venture into working with attorneys and and the work you've done there that was that's a new journey for you wouldn't you say so, and, and a journey is always you answer a calling. So your calling right. was, I need to help these people. I keep seeing them and I'm seeing what's happening to them in their lives. And I'm going to focus on this. And that mm-hmm. led you to writing about it. So you, you cross the threshold, you re- accept your calling and you're on the road. 
and good things happen, bad things happen. And sometimes you meet a dragon and a dragon is, oh, this is something scary that, you know, something that kind of touches you deep within that you realize you have to confront and get over. It's like the next thing to resolve in yourself or transform in yourself in order to move onward to grow and I wonder if there's been anything I mean I've got to think with this resistance with that guy introducing you the way he did that that was dragon-like perhaps Mm -hmm. yeah yeah maybe the resistance to this is a dragon for you yeah but it that kind of resistance just makes me want to do better you know work harder yeah and you know, as a psychologist, I've had to go to court a lot to be an expert witness. And so I've, I've experienced the worst of attorneys, you know, um, who try to make the expert witness look bad by breaking them down, trying to make them cry, getting them upset. And I think from all that experience, what I really learned to do was just look at it like, hey, I'm at the circus and this is ridiculous. And some of these attorneys would get very upset because I wouldn't break down, I wouldn't um, fall apart. But when I encounter people who say things like that guy said about, you know, never go to a psychologist, I just thought that was kind of funny. Like, why would you say that? You do have a great sense of humor. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I have, you know, a, a story that I want to tell that I just, it just came into my awareness. And it, you know, there's been, I, th- I think the resistance that you're talking about, it's been for me the whole way, like not knowing how this is all going to transpire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, for example, knowing, you know, I, I don't ever want to be that traditional kind of psychologist, but being a traditional psychotherapist will pay the bills as I try to figure out how to do this creative thing where I'm going to combine psychology with what I used to do in communication. So writing, speaking, um, all of that, marketing. And just getting frustrated when that wasn't happening fast enough. And it occurred to me just recently that when I was in my past career, the last job I had in that career, I was working for a Dow Jones marketing magazine called American Demographics. And I was in charge of their Midwest sales and marketing office. And they were all in New York. And it was not a good job. I had thought um, after working for several small startup publications in Chicago, and that was so fun because uh, they were understaffed, uh, underfunded, so you got to do a lot of creative projects. I get this job at Dow Jones, and I think, oh, I have made big time. I'm working for this big, impressive company. Um, it was awful, because they were just so stuck in the past ways of doing things. They didn't want my new ideas. I almost got this message, hey, if you don't have enough work to do, find something else to busy yourself with. We don't really want you to be creative. We don't care about your imaginative suggestions or anything like that. So that's when I decided, well, I'll just take some classes part-time. That's how I started to venture into going back to school. And eventually I left that field. But while I was in that job, I got a call one day from the American Bar Association. They're based in Chicago where I was working and they had a sales position available and they wanted to hire me for that. And boy, it paid a lot of money back then. Um, This was in the late 80s. And I remember feeling very compelled to take that job because I thought, well, 
I can make a lot of money with it. But it, my heart was in my soul. They were saying, no, this isn't the right fit. You don't want to be in sales anymore. You know, don't take the job. I ended up not taking it. But fast forward to, you know, speaking of resistance, coming up with this idea for a book, writing a proposal, sending it out to agents, not even getting any responses, getting discouraged. Then I meet this person who connects me with the American Bar Association and they want to publish my book. Okay. So I, in the beginning, if I had taken that job in sales for the money, who knows where I might be, but this is an example of intuition, you know, who wouldn't want to take a job in Chicago, making over twice what I was making with all this opportunity, but something inside me said, no, it's not right. right. And now I'm working for the American Bar Association in a sense combining psychology with they want me to do marketing I'll be writing it's everything that I've always wanted but who who knew it was going to culminate like this so I think that's for me the biggest dragon is the not knowing and continuing to trust your intuition even if it's taken years this whole career journey you know when you read earlier what I said about feeling happy I mean it's taken me 30 years yeah to land in a place where finally it's coming together as I envisioned it. This is so helpful, Amy. It's so helpful because it's what we all go through, right? And, and people can be discouraged about mm -hmm. it. And, and so maybe this is a, a good time to ask you the question. People are listening. Women are listening. Women on their own. Maybe they're contemplating making a leap going after a dream mm -hmm. uh, what would you what would you want to make sure they heard from you today well I think you know we talk a lot about making big leaps and in fact many people come to me for coaching because they want to make a leap but they don't know what that leap is and that creates a lot of anxiety and I know I've been in that place many times um, as I've alluded to you know where you you know hey I'm ready to get out of this field or I'm ready to get out of this house or this state or this relationship but it's just not the right time so it's about trusting that if you continue to listen to your intuition you're going to find the way so it may not be the time to make that big leap that big leap just the idea of it may be creating anxiety so then you ask yourself where you ask your intuition some other questions like, well, what can I do in the interim until it feels right? Mm -hmm. And continue to trust your intuition because your intuition, even if it takes a really long time, um, it's, it's going to take you where you need to go if you listen to it. But the caveat here is in our culture, we talk a lot about, oh, just quit your job and, and start over or just move across the country. You know, you can do whatever you want. And it can't always happen that quickly. So, you know, slowing it down. So let's say, you know, you're just starting to think, hey, I'm not happy in this job, but I don't know what I want to do. Well, you don't take a leap because you don't know where you're going yet. So maybe you go to a career counselor, talk about it or read a book or talk to a friend about it or do some research on the internet, you know, just gradually get going and, and test the waters of things. Yeah, I call it dipping your toe in. Yes. Try this. Maybe that's, if that's interesting to you, no, the feeling isn't good. Okay, well, what about this? You can try things. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, Amy, I am so pleased that we had a chance to talk today. And, and yes. I, you know, my mind has been, oh, we could share about 
that circle we did or that's because yeah. we have other stories but um our time is almost up and i want to make sure i ask you people listening they want to get a hold of dr amy wood how do they find you and we'll put this in the show notes but why don't you also tell us well there are a few ways you can always call me uh, and that number is 207 232-0390. You can go to my website, amywoodpsyd.com. So that's Amy, A-M-Y-W-O-O-D, P as in Peter, S as in Sam, Y, D as in David, dot com. And PsyD means doctor of psychology. So go to my website or you can email me, amywood at amywoodpsyd.com. And I'm also at Instagram at amywoodpsyd. Great. Okay. And your book, you don't know when it's going to come out next it, year sometime, I guess. Yeah. I, I think they would like to try to get it out sometime in 2023. I've, I've just started writing it and uh, I've got a year to finish the manuscript. So that's my focus right now. You have a deadline. Yes, I do. Well, listen, I'm going to let you go so you can get writing amy and again i thank you so much and thank I you think, oh you're welcome and uh oh and one so when is your next show on maine public radio uh you know it's usually the first friday of every month and it's maine calling which is 11 a.m every weekday but the next one they switch okay. to monday because of some scheduling issues so my next show and this one will be on understanding anxiety and depression and mm -hmm. how to deal with it. Um, what's the difference? How do you know if you have anxiety or depression, what you should do, how you can prevent it and be resilient in the face of it. Anyway, that's Monday, October 3rd at 11 in the morning. Okay, that should be a good one. And I think a lot of people would learn a lot from listening in. Yeah, and unlike this show, people can call into that show. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to my, oh, this was a great conversation with Dr. Yes. Wood, And um, I hope you will tune in to the next one and good luck on your heroine's journey, wherever yes. you may be, we're there with you and pay attention to that intuition. Absolutely. Thank, yeah. Thank you everybody for joining us. Yes. Thank you, Susanna. You've been listening to the podcast for real-life heroines with Susanna Liller. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to connect with Susanna outside of the show, please do. You can email Susanna at SusannaLiller.com and visit the website at SusannaLiller.com. Let's get social. Instagram at Susanna Liller, Facebook Susanna Liller, author, speaker, and coach. Don't forget to subscribe to the show for easy access to our next episode. And a like and review would be very helpful. Until next time, remember to follow your inner guidance to grow and evolve.